Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. in the midst of our summer worship series designed to confront some of these unrealistic expectations that are thrust upon Christians. And one of those that we're addressing today is about forgiveness. Do I have to forgive everyone? Do I have to forgive someone anything? Are there things that are unforgivable? And how many times do we have to go through this process before I'm allowed to say, I'm done? When is enough enough? And so we will wrestle with that cued by Jesus' words today and the gospel account of Luke. And this is a big deal for Christians. For Christians, we are known for grace. We are known for forgiveness, having received it from God and seeking to give it to other people. And yet it's a struggle. It's not easy to do. And today, Jesus recognizes this. He's having a conversation with his disciples. And he is talking to them, and he's trying to give them a really important lesson. And we're 17 chapters in. He's almost into Jerusalem in the Gospel account of Luke. And as he is coming closer and closer to entering into Jerusalem, and then eventually his death upon the cross, his message gets more and more emphatic. And today, it's emphasizing forgiveness. So do we have to forgive everybody? Well, Jesus is talking about the necessity to forgive other disciples. He is talking to his disciples, and he says to them, you need to recognize that there's going to be trouble. And anyone who has ever been around a person or people for any amount of time knows that something is going to happen. Someone will say something or do something or not say something or not do something that you think they should do, and then relationships will be impacted and in some cases deeply hurt and fractured. Because people don't do what we think they should do all the time. And sometimes we are the ones that cause pain and suffering to other people because we don't act how they think we should act or we say things and not even intend to hurt people and hurt comes. And Jesus recognizes that this is a reality of living in community. That together, we will find occasions where we will rub against each other and we will create fissures and fractures. And in that reality, he says to them that you have to be on guard and aware of this. Be aware that this will happen, that you will have stumbling blocks, but strive not to be a stumbling block. And he talks about the millstone, and many people associate the the parable about the millstone specifically with a a phrase and and some work that comes out of the gospel account of Matthew where Jesus has some children come up to him and the apostles are like don't bother Jesus he's a very busy messiah and Jesus says whoa time out let the kids come to me it'd be better for you not to be a stumbling block to the children but today he's not talking about children when he says little ones In fact, he's not talking about children anywhere in the preceding chapter. He's actually talking about people who are young in their faith. They have either just come into their belief about the Messiah and Jesus Christ, or they are still traversing and deepening their faith. And for those of us who would consider ourselves to be veteran disciples, we especially have to be aware that we need to make sure that we are modeling forgiveness, that we are enacting forgiveness, and that we are helping people not only practice and receive it, but perpetuate forgiveness. And it is under these auspices that he is speaking to the apostles today. And he goes on to say that 
when another disciple sins, he's talking about forgiveness within the church. It would be great if we could just immediately extrapolate this to all people everywhere. And I know that there are people in our, in our midst and, and people in our, in our church family that would love to just like go right to the meta ethic there. Everybody must forgive everybody. Let's start here and work this out first before we go everywhere. Because it's hard enough for us to forgive people in the church, amen? It's hard enough. So we struggle with this. We struggle with the fact that there are people, and, and I think sometimes we set unrealistic expectations for other Christians. How dare they? She calls herself a Christian. We set up these expectations that Christians don't sin and they don't make mistakes. Well, that's not true. We have a whole Bible about that. We know that people make mistakes. The difference is how we handle it. And Jesus says, when another disciple sins, no matter where they are, whether they're young in age or young in spiritual maturity, whether they're brand new or whether they're lifers, when another disciple sins against us, we are to go to them to rebuke the offender. We are to say, this has happened. And it's to acknowledge that there has been brokenness, to acknowledge that there is pain and suffering. And that is the beginning to how we start to be reconciled. Now, we don't go up to them and go, you're a horrific person, look what you did to me. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that something has happened and the relationship has been torn asunder. And that therefore we need to work on the relationship. It's not about go to them and point out all the awful things they ever did and all the things that you don't like. And then let's see if they can somehow grovel at your feet so that you can forgive them and everything will be okay. That's an unrealistic expectation. Although I will admit many of us would like to see that with certain people. But that's not what we're talking about. Instead, Jesus is asking us to take the first step. This is countercultural in our country. In our country, we wait for the person to have an epiphany and realize that they have hurt us. Because if we don't talk to them for about three months or we unfriend them and block them on Facebook, maybe it will occur to them that they have hurt us and then they will show up at our door and beg for our forgiveness. That's not reality either, and Jesus is telling us that if we have been hurt, we need to take the first step. We need to be the ones that move forward and say, this has happened, the relationship has been torn, and I want to fix the relationship. And the emphasis here is on the relationship not being right. And that's really hard. Because some of us will spend our entire lives in pursuit of and proving that we are right. We want to be right. Our culture wants to be right. There are people who have doctorates in being right. But we instead are called to righteousness. And righteousness does not care if you can be objectifiably proven correct. It does not care if there is empirical data to prove that, you know what, you were right. Righteousness is about relationship. It is about being in right relationship with our God and with other people. And sometimes, for the sake of righteousness, we will set aside our desire, our need, our sinful demand to be right. Because instead, it's about focusing on the person and how we connect and what we have together versus us just being right. And so Jesus is asking us to take a posture of moving toward the one that has offended us, the one that has hurt us, asking us to go there first. And if we do that, then we have to set aside the cultural, secular expectation that we name all the things. You know, not just the things that immediately happen, but everything that's built up. Everything that we've kind of put it. And while I'm at it, do you remember that one time we were on vacation? 
and I had to pick up your tip because you didn't tip right, this is not what Jesus is asking us to do. Jesus is asking us instead to focus on the moment and the fracture in the relationship and to say to this person, if we could set aside the sin and the hurt for a moment and say, you mean so much to me. I want to have our relationship be rekindled. I want us to be back the way that we should be, maybe even better than we were before because you mean that much to me. We are called to be in right relationship. In the church, we have work that we are to do together. And so that can't happen if you and I are separated and broken. We need to be together. Christ came to knit us together. And that's what I want. And so if we're willing to set aside our hurt and we are willing to open space for grace, then the next piece comes into play where Jesus says, if they repent and say that they want forgiveness, you must forgive them. Again, this is countercultural because how many times in our culture do you have people go, I don't really think they were sorry, so I'm not forgiving them. I didn't believe their apology. Jesus says, you don't get to judge their apology. If they say they are repenting, if they say that they want forgiveness, then you must forgive them. You mean I don't get to lord over my forgiveness over other people? I don't get to hold that in my back pocket and determine that they have suffered and groveled enough now that they get it. No, we don't. We have to forgive. Because is this not what God models for us? There is probably no one on all the earth that knows exactly what you have done. Every incorrect thing you have thought, felt, said, done your entire life. If there is such a person, congratulations. I don't know anybody that does that, that has known you from the second that you were born until this moment and knows everything that you've ever done wrong. Because most of us have things that we will never confess that we have done wrong outwardly and verbally. And so we won't tell people what we have done. But God knows. God knows every sin, every failure, every mistake, every hurt, everything that we have done, not only to God and to others, but to ourselves. God knows. And yet, despite all of this, God still forgives us every day. Every time when we turn and say, I am sorry, Lord, this is not who I wanted to be. This is not who you created to be, me to be. This is not how I should be. And I want to be forgiven and I want to try again. And I want us to be as you call me to be. God says, I forgive you. I forgive you. And now we are being asked to model that. And so it is not so much about a formula as we train children. We tend to train people culturally here in a formula. I've been hurt. I wait for you to show up and, and acknowledge that you have hurt me. My response to your I'm sorry is I forgive you. And then we forgive and forget. That is not biblical. Jesus is saying something else. Jesus is saying, if you are hurt, if there is something wrong, then you go to that person. Notice it's not go to your best friend and your sister and your cousin and your aunt and your mom and tell everybody in town and then go to the person. You go to that person and you say to them, something has happened here and we're not right anymore and I want us to be right. And when the person says, you're right, I, I, I have probably contributed to this too and I am sorry, will you forgive me? Then your response must be, I forgive. I forgive you. But not I forgive you because it is power and authority that I wield over you. But I forgive you so that we can set that aside and we can work on this relationship and we can be reconciled. That's the move. It's about the relationship not being right. 
I'm sorry I forgive you is a formula to be right. We are broken and we need to be fixed is about a relationship and a journey to reconciliation. And that's what the cross was about. It was about being reconciled. Because all of us have done horrific things. And if we haven't, give us enough time, we will. All of us have added nails to the cross. All of us have added agonizing seconds and minutes to the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every single Christian has mandated the necessity of salvation by the cross. And yet it is ours. It has been given to us, and now we are being asked to share it with others. But sometimes the, the painful, tragic irony is that it seems more easy to forgive people outside of our family of faith than it is those inside. And so we end up wondering, how many times do we have to go through this? It seems like they sin and do the same thing all the time. How many times until I can finally wipe my hands of it and say, I'm becoming Presbyterian? How many times? And Jesus says a number. Jesus says seven times a day. If they do it seven times a day and seven times they turn back to you. Now think about this. How many of us have committed the same sin seven times in our lifetime? Seven times in our lifetime. I asked the early service, I said, how many of us have committed the same sin seven times a day? My kid's hand goes right up. (laughs) I appreciate your truthfulness. And yet... The message here is not about how many times we sin. It's how many times we are forgiven. How many times are we forgiven? If we sin 700, 7,000 times, how many times are we forgiven? All of them. And God is saying the same thing. But it's not a number. It's not a magic number. It's not, you know, oh, my kid got to number eight and now he's damned. That's not what it is. Seven in scripture is a very specific number. It means completion, the fullness We get it from Genesis chapter 1 when it took the Lord seven days to create. Six days of active creation and the seventh day of rest. So when you see seven in scripture, it's not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's till it's done. So all of us are being asked to forgive other Christians until it is done. Until it is over, until it is finished, until God says, you're done. Now, I have never encountered somebody who was forgiving someone over and over again, and God said, that's it, no more grace for that person. I'm letting you off the hook. However, if this is you, let me know. I will take you out to dinner, and we will discuss this and write a thesis together. But I have never, ever encountered that. And trust me, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. 31 years I've been waiting for God to tell me I can stop forgiving my sister. 31 years. It's a long struggle where, of course, I am always right in this journey, in this relationship. And so what ends up happening is I am struggling with a sister who isn't like me. She doesn't think like me. She doesn't act like me. She doesn't speak like me. She's not a disciple as I am a disciple. And so everything that I know around forgiveness, grace, and reconciliation seems to fall on deaf ears because she doesn't understand my doctrine and my theology. She doesn't understand the articulation and the words that I use. And so we struggle and we butt heads. And yet, deep within my spirit, I know that I am called to be in right relationship with her. Not only because she is a being of sacred worth and created in the image of the same God that created me. Not only because she is a person in whom I have close relationship and proximity, but because she is my sibling. 
And we are called to a relationship that should model what it is to be in right relationship and to be reconciled. And it is a struggle. It is hard. I think it started right when she was about one. And it has been an unending struggle because I am almost 10 years older than her. And we struggle with this constantly. And yet, I would love to get to the point where I just Pontius pilot my sister and wash my hands of her. But I can't because it's not righteous. Not because it's not right. It's not righteous. And how can I ever speak God's truth and gospel to her if I tell her that there does come a day when I can't give her grace anymore? God has unlimited and abundant grace for you, but not me. So you're going to have to go become Presbyterian. We can't do that. Instead, we have to model what God has given us. We have to struggle and strive. We have to set aside our being self-righteous so that we can pursue righteousness as people of God. And it is hard. It is difficult. It is painful. It is a process. It is a journey. It is a lifelong struggle for some of us. It is a lifelong struggle. And yet we do it because all of our lives, our lifelong journey, our lifelong struggle, God never says enough. I'm done with you. You have abused and used my grace for the last time. No. Seven million times we commit the same sin. And when we turn and repent and we ask for forgiveness, it is there. God gives it. We must do likewise. That is what Christ is calling us to in the scriptures. If the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. You must. You have to. It is required. You don't get to say, I will forgive you, but if you do it one more time, it's over. Or, I will forgive you A, but I'm not forgiving you B, C, and D. We must forgive because that is what God does for us. God forgives us even when we, by worldly standards, are unforgivable. God forgives us. And we keep working on that in the world because we recognize that some people will never believe in God's grace until they see and glimpse it and experience it in us. That is what is at stake here. Every single person sitting here has someone with whom they are not properly reconciled. Every single one of us as disciples of the risen Christ recognize that there is a relationship that is not as God would will it to be. And for most of us, we might be able to point out all the things that the other person did to break that relationship and to hurt us. We might be able to sit here and give you a litany. But instead, Christ says, set that aside and focus on the relationship. You'll notice that when we turn and ask for God's grace, God doesn't demand that we humiliate ourselves by listing every single thing. Instead, God, who knows what we have done, is willing to respond with grace. If we who know how we have been harmed know it already, must we debase and humiliate the other? Or instead, is it about saying, recognizing that there has been pain and brokenness and hurt, I want to be right with you. I want to be right with you. Because that is what Christ came and died to do. Make us right with others. With our God, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with our brothers and sisters by blood, by adoption, by honorary title, 
by close proximity and neighbor. God came to us in Jesus Christ, suffered and died so that we could have reconciliation. Now it is our turn to model it for others. Now is our turn to show it. So yes, there is a standard. And the hope is that if we can practice this enough on one another, notice Jesus gave us a group of people that have to forgive us. We have to do it. And hopefully it will become so second nature. It will become so deeply ingrained that when we go out into the world and encounter people that don't recognize the lordship of Christ, that don't understand the salvation of the cross, that don't claim the promise of the resurrection for themselves and their loved ones yet, those people will encounter in us the second nature of grace and forgiveness and go, there might be something to this Jesus. There might be something more. And maybe I want to know. Maybe I want to see, maybe I want to experience it, maybe I want it for myself. There is no greater testimony to the gospel than giving grace. And that is what we struggle to do. And we struggle really hard with that. In fact, in a moment, we are going to have an opportunity to receive one of God's blessings, which is anointing. And it's an ancient biblical custom that has been used to call into power and authority priests, kings, prophets, it was one of the ways in which God showed God's presence and healing power for those who were sick and suffering and the anointing of the sick. It is one of the times in the scriptures where God gave people a tangible sign of God's blessing upon them and for them so that they might be edified and encouraged to continue on in their struggles and their faith. And today, my hope and my prayer for us is that if we choose to receive that anointing and the sign of the cross, that instead it will help us to unlock our hearts and make space for bringing forth the forgiveness. One of the most powerful examples of this that I have ever seen is by Pope John Paul II. Pope John Paul II had an assassination attempt on his life. He was shot at by a radical Islamicist from Turkey. And Pope John Paul would have been well within his papal rights to communicate to all of the world, that that young man was going to burn in hell. He had that power and that right. But instead, he chose to go to the prison. He chose to go into a room with his would-be murderer and assassin. And there, seated at a table, there is a picture of John Paul II reaching across to grab his hand. And he grabs his hand and he says to that young man, I want to forgive you. He lets him know that he is willing to forgive. Is this not what God has been saying to us all of our lives? I am willing to forgive you. If you want to be forgiven, then it is yours. I am making space. I am opening a way. I am carving out a hole for you to step into so that if you would like to receive my forgiveness and my grace, it is yours. That is what we are doing when we, as those who have been hurt and offended, choose to take the first step toward the one who has hurt us. We are choosing grace. We are choosing to give God to another person. And so he does this. And the world kind of glossed over it. The world didn't really pay attention because I really think that the world wanted him to excommunicate and condemn that man to an eternity of burning in hell. But instead, he went to him. He chose to forgive him. Bearing his scar and the bullet wound, he chose forgiveness over anger 
and permanent division. And we're not Catholic. But we have had this wonderful gift in the church universal where we can learn from other Christians because God's grace is not limited to denominationalism. It is bigger than where we align ourselves in theology, doctrine, and dogma. And so this lesson, this incredible gift that John Paul II gave to all of Christendom was, I am going to put my words, my body, my safety at risk and show you what grace looks like. I will model it that you might do likewise. And this was decades ago. Imagine if this were to happen now and he were to model it in this day. What a powerful testimony to the grace of God. But this is what we are called to. And today, when we have the opportunity to receive God's blessing once more, and I hope and I pray that it will become a turning point for many of us where we are able to offer the hope of forgiveness where there was no hope before. That whoever it is, no matter how small or how massive the injury that we have received, no matter how big or how completely tragic and changing the slight, that we can make space for grace. Because grace is like light and air. The second you make room, it will flood into the space. And it will fill it, it will transform it, it will change it. So if you make room in your heart for grace, it will change you. And if you create room in a relationship with another person with whom you are fractured, God can change that space too. What an incredible gift of the gospel we have in forgiveness and grace. May we be those who choose to practice it and preach it and live it out because this is for the glory of our God and for the perpetuation of the church of Jesus Christ. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.